for our time of instruction, let's turn in our Old Testaments now to Ruth 1, verses 8 through 18. Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. And when you get there this morning, just hold your place. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that your spirit would illumine, shine the light on truth, and Lord, that you would help us to grasp and want to live into this truth by your gracious power working within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember in 1993 when the Germans invaded Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And uh, what happened was uh, Mercedes-Benz, way back uh, in Germany, selected Tuscaloosa, Alabama to be the place that they would build this enormous, uh, kind of like Nissan up here, this enormous facility to, to produce their, uh, their SUV. And so uh, it was really interesting to have just scads of Germans move in and move into our neighborhoods. But it was kind of cool because people in our church uh, got to know Germans all of a sudden. And uh, there were several things that came out of relationships with, with folks right off the boat from Germany. And one of them was an insight by the Germans about American culture that they just detested. There were certain things about American culture that they really did not like. And, and one of the things was how we tend to view things in our culture as being disposable. Now, according to the Germans, they build things to last. And because they build things to last, they do this thing called repairing them. And this was not what they found in America. Um, in America, when our cars, our our stereos, our DVD players, and other items break down a few times, or maybe we should say more than a few times, we get rid of them and we buy another one. The, the, the Germans evidently were kind of allergic to our disposable mentality. It, it is an interesting word, disposable, you know, easy come, easy go, and we do love it. And we, we really love disposable things. It's, they, they, they got it right about us. Uh, it's amazing all the, the items that are manufactured to be thrown away after we use them. Of course, you think of you know razor blades or, or whole razors, and you think of baby items, and you think of all these other disposable items. But, but you know, I never thought I'd see the day growing up in the 60s where there would be a disposable camera. Or now we have disposable cell phones. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's, it, every year it seems there, there's just more and more products that come out that are disposable. And, and hey, what's not to love about disposable? There's no hassle. There's no commitment. And as we like to say in America, no mess. Just get rid of it. But unfortunately... I think we need to come to grips with the fact that this disposable mentality has gone further than our consumer products. It seems to have gotten into our relationships and into our attitudes about people as well. 
tired of your spouse? You, you, marriage more than you bargained for? Discard. Get another one. Disposable. Disposable marriage. Hugely popular in our country. You have an unwanted pregnancy? Terminate. Dispose. Your friend lets you down? Your friend forget to do something they should have done, did something they shouldn't have done? Walk. Exit. Disposable. Find you a new one. You know, in, in, the, in the arena of relationships, it is sad that long-term relationships are definitely the exception more than the rule in our lives. And, and there are so many people who have none. And there are many people who are not willing to have them because long-term relationships are out of the category of disposable. You know what the opposite of disposable is in relationships? It's loyalty. It's, it's commitment. Commitment says, I will never, no, never, no, never leave you or dispose of you. That's what the love of God is like. In Hebrews 13.5, we read that famous passage, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And, and y'all, in the depths of who we are, because we're made by a relational God, a personal and loving God, we're made in the image of God, in the depths of who we are, we crave commitment. We, we long for relationship where we don't have to worry about being disposed of. We long for loyalty and the security that comes along with an experience of loyalty. And this is certainly not original with me, but it is certainly true that the quality of our lives are largely determined by the quality of our relationship. It's just true. Now, in our text, we see beautiful commitment and loyalty between two women, one named Naomi and the other named Ruth. And I'd like for you to, to turn in your Bible now to Ruth 1, 8 through 18. And as, and as we read it, I want you to think about the simplicity of how this kind of breaks down and maybe we can understand it more easily. This basically is two speeches. It's Naomi's speech and it's Ruth's speech. And they are amazing. So let's read God's Word and God's Word to us this morning. Ruth 1, 8 through 18. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, meaning her two sons that had died that they had married. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord, may the Lord grant you what, that you find rest, each of you in the house of uh, her husband, meaning you get, you're able to marry again. 
Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will not return with you. Excuse me, we will not we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, go back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they could become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband, and if I should say I have hope, and even if I had a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying to marry those sons? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices. And they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth and, and Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law Orpah, she has turned back. She's already left. She has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return with your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, where you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and be buried with you. May the Lord, in fact, do so to me, and, and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So we got three women on the road. After losing everything in Moab, her husband, her two sons, and hearing that the famine in Bethlehem and Judah was over, Naomi was going home. Can you see these women with their bags, their penniless, on this hot and dusty road? It's a 50-mile journey from Moab to Bethlehem and Judah. And there they are. But I'll tell you, there, there's more than meets the eye. The, the, uh, we don't understand necessarily in our culture just what's going on between those three women, there's, there's just more than we can see. It's actually truly amazing that there are three women on that road instead of one woman, Naomi, on that road. And here's the reason. Naomi's two daughter-in-laws were not Israelites. They were Moabites. So the question is, why would two Moabite women, young and of marriageable age, follow their mother-in-law, their, their Jewish mother-in-law, back to Israel? It's a good question because Moabites were considered a cursed people and looked down upon in Israel where they were walking toward. In Moab, however, they would not be strangers. In Moab, they would have their family, their extended families. In Moab, they would have a chance to remarry 
a chance to be cared for, and to be a woman who was widowed in that ancient time was very difficult. And to be a widow in a foreign culture where you're considered cursed and looked down upon is, is, is even worse. So it's pretty amazing that, um, that they are there with her. Why, why are they there with her? Well, obviously they're there because they love their mother-in-law. They love Naomi. They are committed even to the point of their discomfort and a big question mark over the rest of their entire lives. That's how committed they are to their mother-in-law. And we might add, maybe, maybe, text doesn't say it, but maybe it's because they suffered together. And their hearts have been drawn together. So I'd like to look at these two speeches, Naomi's speech and, and Ruth's speech, separately. And the first is Naomi, the mother-in-law's speech. Naomi kind of stops on the road because she has something that she doesn't just want to say. She has something she needs to say. And she begins by telling them how deeply she appreciates them and how well she wishes them. In verse 18, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house back in Moab. And listen to these words. May the Lord deal kindly with you just as you have dealt with my, the dead, my sons, and with me. That's a pretty amazing sentence in and of itself, that, that Naomi invokes the kindness of God to those two daughters-in-law in direct proportion to how kind they have been to her. And what that tells you is how kind they have been to her and how loving this, in, this relationship truly is. But then Naomi gets to the heart of the matter. She tells them to go back, go back to their homeland and their families. Go return, verse 8, each of you to your mother's house. You'll have a better chance of remarrying there. Verse 9, the Lord grant that each of you may find rest in the house of a husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they all had this cry together right there on the road. There's three women crying and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, no, we're going back with you. We're going to return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Do, do I have sons that you can marry? Because I certainly would give my sons to you again. That's how much I love you. And I don't have a husband. And even if I were to have a husband, and even if I were to conceive tonight, would you wait around? It's not good for you. Go back. It is exceedingly bitter for me, to me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I, we blew it. Elimelech and I blew it going to Moab. You don't need to be a part of this, of this whole story anymore. Go back to where it's easier. And what's great about Naomi's speech is that Naomi basically is saying to these two young women, it's going to be harder for me if you don't come with me. But I love you so much that I would rather you have your freedom from your obligation to me because I love you more than me, more than myself. And I want you to go back. And that's a pretty amazing thing for, uh, for her to say. Uh, you know, she didn't want these women she loved to feel obligated 
and manipulated by her. Isn't that one of the worst things in the world that you experience? To feel that somebody's doing something just out of obligation and not because they would have chosen to do it anyway because they want to? There's something to be learned here. Obviously, it's the committed love that's sacrificial on the part of Naomi to say, hey, you know what, I'll take a harder road to give you guys a better life. But there's something else to be learned here, and it basically is this, that it's not good for your relationships with people to manipulate them by guilt, to obligate them to you and create in them a sense of guilt. You know, guilt moves people. Guilt works. But it didn't draw anybody close. Guilt doesn't knit any hearts together. And you've got to keep doing it for it to keep working. Guilt's exhausting. Guilt's exhausting for the person that has to keep putting you on a guilt trip, and it's exhausting for the person that gets to keep being on a guilt trip. And um, have you ever felt obligated by someone by their constant manipulation? Even if that person is somebody dear to you that you just loved so much, what was the emotion you felt as you continually were manipulated by them? Can we just put a name on that emotion? I got a name for it. The name of it is resentment. That's just not one of the good foundation stones for a, a relationship going forward. Naomi didn't want that. You know, Naomi basically, and you can make the case hey, you know what, they bought into Naomi's family when they married Mahan and Kilion, and that's just the way it is, and you buck up and you go back. And they were going back. They were on the way back. But uh, Naomi basically gave them a choice. Naomi did not want to obligate them. In fact, she wanted them to go back. She, she wanted to set them free from that obligation. And, uh, and I suppose that would mean that she was free from having to take responsibility if they came along if things didn't go well. Because rather than going because they were made to go, they chose to go. That's a whole lot better situation than the guilt and the manipulation and the resentment and the low-grade rage that happens in relationships. Do you manipulate people in your life? Do you use guilt with people? I mean, what if, what if you were to stop doing that? What if you were to give somebody their freedom from you? and Their freedom from, from that guilt. What would happen? What would happen if you let up on the guilt for a while? Well, you may just have vastly improved relationships. You might have something more like willingness and, and love and, and stakeholding and, and this wonderful thing. Or you know what can happen if you, if you set them free. They might walk. It's risky to stop manipulating people. But a person who's committed to you isn't going anywhere. So Naomi loved Ruth and Orpah enough to, to want what was best for them 
even though it might be costly to her and she didn't want to use guilt to obligate them to go one step further on that dusty road. Isn't that an amazing speech for an elderly person that doesn't know what her situation is going to be? Well, the second speech is Ruth's speech. Uh, now, I need for you to understand that both of these women, these young women, younger women, loved their mother-in-law. It's not that Orpah didn't love Naomi and Ruth did. They both loved, I mean, they're both on the road, and they both wept and said, no, we're going all the way to, to Israel. And, and, and then Naomi gave her speech saying, go back. So, you know, Naomi kind of, Gave that freedom that we were talking about. And Orpah took her newfound freedom, turned around, and went back. She kissed her. She kissed Orpah, and she went back. Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to Naomi. Verse 15, and Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law's gone. Please go back with her. Listen to these words very carefully. To her people, she's gone back to her people and to her gods. She's, she's, she doesn't worship Yahweh. She's going back to worship Chemosh again in Moab. Go back with her. And, and Ruth responds with one of the most incredible affirmations of a fellow human being. And one of the great, almost poetic displays and, and descriptions of a commitment. It is so profound. It is so beautiful that it is read at weddings. It is sung at weddings. In fact, it was sung at our wedding from the King James. Entreat me not to leave thee. Verse 16. Go back, Naomi says. Verse 16, but Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you. Stop telling me to go back and leave you or to return from following you. And here it is. I want you to see if you hear any commitment and loyalty in these words. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge or live, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. I don't fit in Moab anymore spiritually. Listen to this. And where you die, that's where I'm going to die. And where you're buried, you better buy two plots because that's where I'm going to be buried. I don't think it gets any more committed than that. I'm not leaving you, I'm going to live with you, I'm going to die with you, and I'm going to be buried next to you. It's amazing. You can just see these women on the side of the road, and, 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 and Ruth looks into Naomi's eyes with tears and says this amazing, loyal declaration of, of how she feels. She has been set free, and she willingly says, no, I want to go. And whatever happens, happens, but it'll happen to us together. And I'll be with you, live with you, worship with you, die with you. How do you think Naomi felt when Ruth said this to her? What do you think that moment on the road did for their relationship? 
I want to tell you something. Committed love, loyal love is powerful. Because God loves with loyal love. And we're made in the image of God. And we crave real love. Not head fake love. <laughs> real love that is committed. Is there someone committed, loyal to you? In your family? Or in a friendship? If that is true, that is a very important person in your life. More than you probably realize sitting here this morning. Who are you actually committed to? Actually loyal to? And want to remain loyal to? That's a very important person in your life as well. As we kind of move to this table, I, I want to point out a, a kind of parallel between what's going on here in the book of Ruth and, um, and what was going on with Jesus before he was crucified for us. Jesus was on a road too, wasn't he? Jesus was on the road to suffering, the Via de la Rosa, the road that led up through the city of mockers, to a cross. Jesus is on a road. And Jesus could have gone back. And it would have been a whole lot better for Jesus. If he had gone back. In some ways. Jesus could have used his power to get out of it. And not gone through any of it. But Jesus was committed. He was loyal to us. He strained up that hill. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. That's how loyal, that's how committed is his love. And can I just speak a word for the beauty of Reformed theology? I really don't believe Jesus died for some blank check of who might write in. Jesus doesn't even know who he's dying for. Oh, no. You need to understand something. Jesus is the second person of God. Jesus had you. If you've put your trust in Him, He had you on His heart when He was on that road. When He decided not to go back, it was for you. When He was pressed down and nailed to, it was for you. But you know the, the amazing thing about this whole loyalty thing is uh, Orpah you know, kissed her mother-in-law in return. And Orpah loved her mother-in-law. Nobody's being critical of Orpah. Ruth said, don't tell me to leave you. And Ruth clung to her and, and she was loyal to Naomi and Naomi was loyal to her. But you know, Jesus was loyal to you when you didn't deserve it. In fact, the scriptures say that we were enemies of God. We only love God because He first loved us. Jesus wasn't loyal to you or to me because of what He could get out of it. He wasn't loyal because we were loyal. Jesus, Jesus was committed to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. It's amazing. I mean, are we ever going to get over this? 
He's committed to us. He'll always be committed to us. If you ever feel disposable because somebody's left you, somebody dissed you, somebody disposed of you, you know what you need to do? You need to look at the cross because the cross literally screams in agony, I love you and this is real. This is so real and so sacrificial that you can count on it forever. The cross... We hear this whisper, I will never leave you. I will never, no, never leave you or dispose of you. You can rest in my love. It's beautiful. I'll always love you. I'll always be with you. And I've prepared a place for you. That you can be with me where I am. And I will take you to be with that, at that place. For people that don't always, aren't always able to rely on people because people let us down, that's an incredible thing. And it is in receiving love that we learn how to love. You want to teach your children to love? Then love your husband in front of them. Love your wife in front of them. You want to teach your children to love? Then love them. You want to teach others' children, people's children to love? Then love people in the body of Christ. Love them. Show that love. Stay loyal. Stay committed. So those little eyes and those little ears and those little hearts can say, that is what it is. And this is where we find it. It's the people of the cross that understand this. And it is the commitment in the cross that gives us the ability to commit. How wonderful to be taught by Jesus to love, by experiencing a greater love. And could I say, in this love, we are made secure. In this love, we can release people instead of strangling them to try to get love out of them. We can love people and not use people. We can bless people and not threaten people. We can release people and not strap them down. And when we release them and not strap them down, they have this real ability to actually love us. Isn't that great? Not resent us. There's one more thing I want you to see from the text before we go and celebrate the cross together. And that's verse 18. After all this happened, after these two speeches, after all the emotion, verse 18 simply says, When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Translated, Naomi didn't didn't have to say it anymore. Naomi didn't bring it up again. And I'm going to tell you something, there is freedom in verse 18 because Naomi was secure in this relationship. And this is a beautiful scene that speaks to the deepest desires that human beings have. I want to ask you, do you have relationships that are so secure that you don't have to check up on them all the time? That you don't have to check in on them all the time? Those are important people. Who are the people in your life that you give loyalty to so they feel secure in your love? They just know. That you love them and you're going to love them. If you are a believer in Christ, it is the cross where you can see that you are truly secure. And because it's 
It's at the cross that we hear these words. It is finished. And because it's finished and given, it is secure. Jesus died to know you. He ever lives to love you. He has prepared a place for you. He will never leave you or dispose of you. This is what we celebrate at the table. God's total commitment, total loyal love that empowers us to love. And so as we eat of the bread and drink of the fruit of the vine today, let it not just be in gratitude and remembering. Let it be with a prayer that this love could be given to people in our lives. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that that you would prepare our hearts to go straight to this table that pictures the cross and the empty tomb because you're here. Lord, would you help us to experience your love in real time because we are remembering by faith that which has happened and to be with you, Jesus, the lover of our souls. Would you open our hearts to love? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.